for September 16th, 2019. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 585. Three theories of Britney Runs a Marathon. Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like your smart, funny friends from the internet who undertake all of life's great challenges with you. We're beside you uh, when you decide to read a very difficult book like uh, Paradise Lost by John Milton, the unsurpassed and unsurpassable greatest work of literature in any language ever. Uh, we're beside you when you decide to, uh, to you know, undertake binge-watching a, a TV show, and you, you just look at that mountain of hours and wonder how you're going to get through uh, all of them and we're beside you when you decide to watch a film like Britney runs a marathon which is about a woman being helped or not by a group of friends as she undertakes a uh, great challenge I'm Matt Rather that's Pete Fenzel Pete it looks like it's just two of us running this marathon on our storied hands wait did I get that right <laughs> running a marathon in your hands that's a tall order that's for sure <laughs> especially yeah. tall because you'd be taller on your hands if you held them right. up your head and and uh walked on them uh that's right it's it's just you and me pete it's one of our story two-handers and uh we're gonna we're gonna talk about this this film which you saw before i did uh mm-hmm. you, uh, you uh, posted unbidden and well, no, I guess you were bitten because it was like, hey, what can we what can we talk about uh, for the podcast? And you mentioned that you had seen this film, and uh, you got me to uh, you got me to go see it, and I uh, saw it today, and and uh, now it's the topic of the topic of the podcast. Anyway, what uh, this is this was a sort of independent film. It got picked up by Amazon, um, and you know they've been spending a lot. They did the one with Mindy Kaling uh, a couple months ago, and. Um, you know, have have done these kind of like quirky indie feel good kind of dramas um, with you know like like dramedies, I guess. But uh, but I guess maybe uh, spoiler alert for Britney runs a marathon. Pete, could, could could you tell tell everyone the story of Britney runs a marathon in case as as seems likely they have not seen this film? Um, and it, <laughs> it's it's okay, guys. You're, you you don't have to go see. You know, this is this is one where uh, I feel like. The experience of it will not be ruined by knowing what happens. Yeah. Although I, I do recommend the movie. Sure. But it's worth it's worth saying that this is a movie that I think punches considerably above its weight, and it's not entirely clear why. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in the movie, Britney Runs a Marathon, the eponymous Britney yeah, is Brittany. a 28-year... Yeah, right. yeah got go. it. that's the one. She's the one in the title. Got it. The, the yes, tit- exactly. titular Britney. Yes, and the thing that she does is also in the title. It is okay. run a marathon. Got it. Uh, and and not she just does. Any she does eventually run the marathon, <laughs> right? Like that's. It's like a full free willy. You know, you see her jumping out of the ocean and uh, swimming away to freedom at the end of the film. That is an inappropriate metaphor, given the subject matter of the movie, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. So Brittany Runs a Marathon is about a hard partying, emotionally lost 28 year old who looking for companionship, direction, self-respect, stumbles into rapidly worsening health problems and takes on an involuntary habit of jogging. And uh, through this habit, she uh, gets some personal wins. She meets a few people. She has some good times. She discovers sides of herself she never knew existed. She reaches personal crisis of kind of self-awareness and self-deception, has a high point, has a crash, has a low point, has a recovery. And then in a triumphant love actually esque uh, combination of cinematic and real world footage, she runs what I believe was the 2018 New York City Marathon, the one where it rained yep. uh, in, in real life. She runs the marathon and it is a triumph because when she starts, she's not even run a block and she's been drinking and doing drugs and and she's, uh, uh, she's performing sex acts in the bathrooms of yeah, clubs and I, stuff and really, other things really, that yeah, I really, guess don't do. Really, sort of degrading herself. I mean, she's severely deconditioned in a lot of uh, in a lot yes. of respects, right? Right, right, right. Uh, yes, yes. In fact, that's probably that itself is as good of a doorway in uh, as any to discussing this movie. I think uh, because I love that phrase, severely deconditioned. You said, yeah. um, and and it raises the question of well, what is it to be conditioned? Yep. And and this movie 
it's very self-aware of the difficulty to of speaking publicly about its subject matter. And you know that it's one of those things that's been run through political consultants, uh, I mean, not you know, marketing sensitivity consultants to make sure that it tries to uh, avoid coming down on, the, on, a, on, a, on a side of a particular issue that's going to make a lot of people upset at it. So it contains a lot of equivocation. Yeah. Um, and and that's that in itself is interesting, but um, but the movie in a super super simple way is about somebody who has kind of let themselves go physically and emotionally, and about and has a sort of corpus sanuum mens sanuum baseline plot of if you get in shape you will feel better about yourself, not just because you know your body will make your brain work better, but also because the sort of character building aspects of improving yourself are of a, a consequence as well as a cause of taking on a greater sense of your sort of personal dignity. And this, of course, um, runs uh, against this sort of philosophy, right? This sort of philosophy of discipline and self-improvement and, and not even not even necessarily self-improvement, but kind of self-control, right? This sort of temperance philosophy of don't go out partying and drinking and doing drugs and and having these random unfulfilling encounters, right? Become because you know measure measure out your time, choose the things that you want to do, hang out with the right people, go to bed relatively early, right? Early to bed, early to rise makes a makes a Brittany healthy, wealthy, and run the marathon, and uh, and this runs afoul of the other of sort of the contrary idea that is pretty powerful in contemporary culture, which is that um, the effects, the negative effects that are attributed to things like a lack, basically that 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 virtue in the sense of kind of uh, work virtue is a uh, is a trick. Right. And that it is a it is a mechanism by which uh, people like make other people feel bad. Right. And, and so if you have if you have one group of people where they have what they see as the desirable qualities and another group of people who they see as having the undesirable qualities, then the people with the desirable qualities will seek out some sort of ethic that justifies in themselves a superiority mm. so that they can bash the people who don't have the ethic. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is the whole thing of like, well, you should go to bed early and wake up early and you should study hard. And that way you'll go to a good school and have a good job and be respectful and people will like you and look at those bad people who don't right when it turns out that those people like have to work 18 hours a day or are mired in some sort of poverty or just look different or are from a different tribe right and it's like well you know in our tribe we we drink beer and in that tribe they drink wine and those people are because they drink wine are lackadaisical and like and don't have a commitment to hard work and this is like literally things that science has told has said in the past right yeah uh, you know that like uh well they have hotter blood and they live they live where it's hot and they take naps during the day yeah, the, the which shape means of, that they're the incapable of their skull yes, is, exactly. is differently shaped, you know, and that's right. that's just like they can't they can't help it. They're you know they their their yeah. skull is different, you know. So this is a movie that is to an extent about the kenning of fat shame, uh, and and it is, and I say it is a kenning because it's I don't want to say because I don't want to say it's about fat shaming, right? It's about this. It's sort of about the idea of people who have have matrices of shame that are directed inward and outward and are also dealing with being out of shape and having weight problems. And I think like a lot of, I think like a lot of, uh, things that I think this, what I'm about to say is true of the, the film in a lot of respects. It, it sort of makes hay and it, it with, with these issues and like, it sort of engages with these rubrics or matrices, as you say, of, um, of, you know, various, various kinds of personal and social problems, uh, in the ways that the personal is political and the political is personal. And, and it sort of in, engages with these ideas without necessarily, a interrogating them very deeply or challenging any of the ideas fundamentally or b uh so without a lot of rigor or b without a, a ton of um uh, uh introspection or without a ton of you know 
self, uh, uh, self criticism or kind of with a self, um, uh, what do I want? Self, self awareness. Right. So, so let me take a running bit from the movie and kind of analyze it along these lines. There's a running bit in which Brittany is running for the subway and she's, she's in the station, the train's there. It's about to leave. Ding, ding, ding. The doors are closing. She says, hold that. And someone, you know, uh, uh, someone either fails to or or does open the the door put you know put his or her hand in the door to open it for her and as you can imagine it's a rule of three thing the first time it doesn't happen and like she's you know it's early in the film when when she is you know not particularly fit and she's not particularly healthy uh, and <laughs> let's take those two things as separate topics right and right. um and she's uh she runs for the thing and she doesn't get it and this it's sort of a um it's sort of a FML kind of moment, you know, like, oh, I like I stayed up partying. I feel bad. I don't I got up late. My alarm went off. I don't like it. I'm late for work. I'm running. And to just compound all of these indignities, um, you know, someone I, I don't get on the train I want and I'm, I'm late for work because of it. Right. This is before she goes to the doctor and before the weight is sort of manifestly an issue. The second time it begins with a uh, a shot of her feet that sort of tilts up to her running and catching the uh, the door. And so the idea of running has been introduced. And so you are put in mind of the idea, oh, is she running faster? Has this running been good for her, right? Um, so that she can, uh, you know, get to the get to the door of the train in time. But no, you know, uh, like uh, like Charlie Brown with the football. No, and in, in fact, um, you can't. Uh, she can't get on the train the second time. The third time, at least the third time I remember, someone does hold the door for her on the train. Also gives her kind of like a, a flirty sort of look, and this is when her body has sort of changed shape a little bit because of the exercise, and uh, she's she, it's a little bit like oh well thanks doing doing uh, doing it on the train. I'm like you know, and she she talks about how she enjoys the attention people give her without uh, you know uh, w- with the kind of the the way that she has come to look over the course of the year of training, and I, I think we can sort of grant her her enjoyment of that while at the same time, you know, holding our nose and saying the P word. You know the P word, right, Pete? Not Pete. Problematic. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, okay, so this is a fun... You, you're with me so far, yeah? Yeah, yeah okay. for sure. Yep. So rule of three, you know, good little bit, It, it you know, right? Like, uh, uh, you know, fat girl can't make the train, skinny hot girl, oh, here she comes. People are going to do nice things for her, right? Like, uh, not not super critically examined. And and had it, had it left there, it, I think, would not be quite as good of a movie. But then it happens a fourth time when Britney is on the train someone else is running for it hold the door hold the door hold the door and she you know her hand shoots out gets the door and whoever was calling gets on and it turns out it's an african-american lady with sort of a kind of shocking pink shade of hair and uh she's on the heavier side right Mm -hmm. and this is the this is the rule this is the rule of four now all kinds of things are right about this and all kinds of things are wrong about this uh, at the same time like one of the things that's right about this and here's what in my most generous reading of this here's what where i think the filmmaker the writer director is trying to go with this right like her experience of being sort of an invisible person uh you know and being sort of devalued uh because of her body shape and because of the people who make assumptions about her has taught her uh, a little bit more compassion, right? And a little bit more to kind of look out at, look out for other people and especially, you know, to have a think, to have a care for people who might not be having it so easy right now and, uh, or who might also like her for a, whatever variety or combination of intersectional reasons might be invisible people themselves, uh, you know, with respect to the mainstream, the mainstream society. And like, this is what, uh, uh, you know, this is 
this is how this is kind of operationalized storytelling wise. On the other hand, it's like, oh, she's a saint because she holds the door for a black lady. And that's like, right. it's a little, it's a little too pat. It's a little too neat. And it's not, you know, the, the kind of the naughty problems in there are not interrogated enough for me to be fully comfortable, uh, just granting it, you know, g- giving it full generosity and full benefit of the doubt in terms of, of what it's trying to say. I don't know, Pete, did you have a, a reaction to that particular? runner and how like uh uh how it plays into kind of the movie as a whole yeah yeah so i had the same i kept expecting that what was going to happen was that she was going to be running for the train and she was going to injure herself and be unable to run the marathon that's what i thought was going to happen that 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 was a portent right because uh in the beginning she's running for the train and i felt like what was being implied was that Brittany doesn't know that she's already capable of running, right? Right. At the beginning of the movie, Brittany feels incapable of running even a single block. And there's this wonderfully harrowing sequence uh, that's that's got a full on, you know, Hitchcockian dolly zoom uh, and and an evil clown. It's got all sorts of crazy stuff going on. That's true. It is. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's a horrifying psychological phantasmagoria. Yeah. And it's what separates that's what makes this worthy of being a movie in a movie theater rather than uh, something on the Hallmark Channel. Right. Is is that sort of attention to detail, which occasionally shows up. Uh, And I kept thinking, oh, she's going to be running for the train. And it's something that she was good at at the beginning. And she's going to get hubris. Right. She's going to be running so good that all of a sudden she's going to forget that she should be watching where she's going and she's going to fall. And then she's not going to be able to run the marathon. And, yeah, the movie does go there where she gets an injury and she can't run the marathon. It it has to. (laughs) There's not enough else that happens. I mean, it's a lot. Yeah. Other, otherwise, I was a little bit like, okay, where's the? I mean, where's the price of fame section, right? If this were a, if this were a, a Hollywood biopic, if this were, you know, um, uh, Elton John or Freddie Mercury or something like that, there's always a, a price of fame section, and it never can be a, a sort of straight a straight trajectory. Though, I mean, and I, I suppose it never is in life. And I, I suppose, like, if you are uh, like Brittany, and also you have the like dearth of coaching that you see her have, like you, you are pretty liable to to injure yourself from overtraining or from you know some kind of you know not not cross training enough or what whatever whatever uh, right. is is going on and and like a little bit I don't know I thought it was a missed opportunity right I thought you again like uh, there were a couple there are a couple times where I just I wanted the movie to kind of like engage and struggle a little bit to just like to just like put put its shoulder to the wheel and i don't know i'm trying to find an exercise an exercise thing like just to to uh i don't know take that that last last couple steps across the finish line and and just in terms of ideas in terms of being a film of ideas it's a film with ideas and maybe not a film of ideas but uh yeah uh, it doesn't it doesn't quite like doesn't quite like get into the gears there uh and and let it grind in terms of like okay this is a setback like how do people talk about setbacks how do you deal with setbacks how do you like uh, it completely derails her which i think doesn't necessarily do justice to whatever um you know whatever progress she's made and whatever kind of psychological uh betterment has been concomitant with her the physical betterment i don't know right. sorry pete you were about to jump in what were so- you going to say so so I, I'm with you. And this is, a, I think, a good example of a movie where the ways in which the movie fails, to me, make me like the movie more, not necessarily because they did it on purpose, but because they reflect failure, the sort of discursive areas of failure yeah. that when they are elided is often done in kind of a of a uh, dishonest or uh, or unserious or inadequate way. And this movie does elide those things in an inadequate way, but the way it does it is so inadequate that it sh- really screams out you know that it's inadequate to me anyway. And 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 to put a little more color on that. And you know we know what I mean like there's there's like a there's like an aside. There's a there's an aside from the political officer where an overweight woman who Britney shames at a at a really awkward family gathering, right? Like she she's ruthlessly hostile and mean to this friend of her her uh 
her basically her adopted father, her her sister's husband. She's so mean to this overweight woman with a skinny boyfriend because she's lost her boyfriend or whatever the, her sort of it's complicated friend, and she's she's injured and she's feeling lonely. And and Brittany is not really like a very nice person a lot of the time, and so she she just tears into and thrashes this overweight woman who has an un, a skinny uh, boyfriend. And the the overweight woman is given kind of like a, a spotlight soliloquy that she delivers to the audience about how she values herself, which is sort of epistolary. It's the form of a letter. And what that is, is it's the movie acknowledging that if it doesn't give you that, people are going to be mad at it. And, because, <laughs> and it's difficult. It's like so. But here's the issue, right? This isn't a movie, I think, that interrogates ideas. It's a movie that performs ideas. That's a, that's and, interesting. Yeah. And so, like, I, when I and I, I've talked about this the day I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast, but the day uh, was it the day after? I think it was the week. It was the day uh, of the election in 2016. Um, <laughs> the day that that uh, Trump was elected president of the United States, I had to teach an improv class that night while the election returns were coming in. And this was in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and so people were plunging deeper and deeper into despair. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, I, was, I, was uh, in a, I was in a bar getting drunker and drunker uh, as the election returns came in. Yeah. And then I had a first date the next night, which was not yeah. a particularly great mood to be in. But I'm sorry. Enough about me. What do you think about me? And just kidding. You tell your story about you. <laughs> well, well, the, the story is like, OK, how do you how do you do political? I decided that that was what everyone's going to be thinking about and talking about. So I would try to run a bit of a workshop. Uh, on that subject, not necessarily on like yeah. po- the, the specific issues of the politics, but how do you deal with performing issues that have a sensitive political aspect? And a lot of the um, a lot of the discourse that you hear around how to deal in various sorts of fine and performing arts with difficult subjects is about kind of memorizing the rules yeah. as to wh- what you're allowed to or not allowed to say in a given social circle or audience circle about a particular sort of topic. It's basically learning the courtesy, right? It's it's the Emily Post, yeah. where it's like, regardless of what you think, this is what you should say. And it's about being nice. And it's also about, you know, recognizing the kind of limitations of your own perspective and also recognizing um, the, the, I mean, not recognizing, and I think this is important, but but sort of cheating your way to management of the difference between what you think and then what you create. Because it is not a simple thing that you're just going to make uh, whatever kind of art you're making is going to accurately reflect all the thoughts and and communicate all the thoughts that you have in your brain. That's just not not how it works. Right. Uh There's the process of bringing the art into being, which is not a process of, you know, mind melding with the audience. There's mediums and and mistranslations. And that's why, you know, modernist and postmodernist literary criticism exists. Yeah. uh, And is correct. Right. Um, One way or the other. But, But the point was that what I was trying to teach them was it's really hard in particular in improv to perform scenes that tackle difficult subjects because you don't get the opportunity ahead of time to write exactly what it is that happens. And so if you play from impulse, you can't help but necessarily play from prejudice. And that means that you will eventually say or do things that will piss people off and and not only piss people off, but also communicate ideas that you don't really uh, adhere to personally. Right. Like, I don't believe that it's kicking around in my subconscious and it's kicking around in my brain. And and on some level, it's part of my thinking. But it's not if I were to sit down and do my slow thinking. Right. In my fast thinking, it's there. But in my slow thinking, I wouldn't uh, uh, adhere to it. Well, and how do you get it across on stage? And and this I learned this from a workshop from uh, I think it was from Susan Messing that she, so I'll I'll give credit where credit is due. So if it works or doesn't work, credit her or not, um, which is to, well, to one, either exaggerate the anxiety and paranoia of the situation or downplay it, right? In much the same way we talked about Stuart Lee a couple weeks ago about kind of overstating for comic effect or understating, right? It's like, okay, are we are we talking about a paranoia that needs to be kind of assuaged, or are we talking about a thing that we're not worrying about enough that people need to worry about more? Um, and then the other thing is to show the people who are suffering from it. Mm. Right. Depict the people who are depict as honestly as you can, the people who are suffering from it. And that's what's supposed to generate the empathy for the situation, which then, you know, it it creates in a sort of operative way and functional way Mm. an association with the sort of, you know, whatever, quote unquote, right thinking you're trying to get across. Right. Mm. So, like, don't tell me don't perform for me necessarily a morality play where all the heroes, you know, are really happy with their bodies and all the villains are really in shape. Right. 
Um, like I don't want to necessarily like people didn't necessarily learn how to live their lives from watching Meatballs, right? Or Revenge of the Nerds, right? Like. You know, Revenge of the Nerds doesn't actually teach you how to behave. No, it's a bad, it's a, if you behave like Revenge of the Nerds, that's a very bad idea. Don't do that. Exactly. Exactly. But it is an attempt to kind of point out the heroes and villains in society and identify the values that people should have and the values that they shouldn't have. One that we wouldn't necessarily agree with, right? In fact, wouldn't agree with at all. But if you don't want to do that kind of story, you can do the kind of story where you portray the person who is in the midst of the suffering and you show the various sorts of humiliations and suffering and wrestling with the with the, with uh, the problems. And then you create empathy with that kind of situation, right? And then, uh, or you at least create a hook where the audience can choose to hang their empathy if they want and then from there right you're 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 engaging with the topic and so this is a movie that tries to do that by having britney not just engage with the subject matter in any one way um by having her relate to all of the i mean i was weeping constantly during this movie because as somebody who struggled with my weight for most of my life and who has at times been very in shape and at times like had huge setbacks right like really bad injuries where i couldn't work out for like a year and i gained like 40 50 pounds right like it sucks it sucks so hard and to see a character who is really they were really putting as much work as they could into into um, her honestly experiencing this kind of suffering, overstated, right, in certain ways, uh, in terms of the time frame and, and everything happening within the two-hour period. The movie takes place less than two hours. It's a brisk movie. You can go see it, totally. It, it's not going to, like, ruin your night or anything. Um, like, that's where I think the movie's heart really is, is in showing you Britney's struggles and in uh, performing Britney's struggles as a uh, as something that you could sympathize with. And a lot of people would say that that is kind of a low order, right? That the idea of performing, that it's culinary, right? It's like, it's for emotional <laughs> satisfaction, manipulative empathy, right? Like, if you really wanted to tackle the subject of body type in society, you would interrogate it on an intellectual level. And and that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, yeah, but that's, and, not, and, that's not really drama. Uh uh, you know that's not really drama, but I, you know, I don't know. I think I think about political films. I think about political films that I like a lot. Do the right thing, actually, is it yeah. just to pull out a movie out of nowhere? Uh, is well, I guess it's they they both take place in New York. That's there's there's one. Do do the right thing has a. Um, a structure where the characters in the movie represent kind of the parts of the uh, parts of the argument, you know, like yep, yep, yep. Um, uh, that is going on, and like and like do the right thing is also it's a little more theatrical. Um, like the the Sam Jackson character, the Samuel L. Jackson character, like is is. Um, uh you know as a narrator like the idea you know uh of a of a kind of like omniscient god voice like there there are there are sort of concessions to like non-realism in in do the right thing and and one of them is that like it it is a movie of ideas where where the characters are ideas a little bit and are and are fully inhabited and you get the sense that like you get the sense that um you get the sense that what that that uh, it's sort of cashed out, right? Like that the thought the thought process is cashed out. It's at least complete, yeah. whether or not you you agree with it. And like I think in in the wake of that movie, I read um, some some criticism or some some history or something like that. Like Spike Lee was getting asked by like film critical audiences all the time. Well, does Mookie do the right thing? Does he do the right thing when he throws the trash can through the window? And and uh, does he do the right thing? And and Spike Lee's answer ended up being, you know, white audiences ask me that question and black audiences never do. And that's how he started. That's how he just started dealing with that question, which is not an answer, but it is a way of dealing with the question yeah. and kind of highlighting some of the some of the problems around that question. This is, you know, this this is sort of. I mean, this is sort of not that right. Like it's it's. Oh no! It's like the the idea. I just like a little bit. What is? I mean, what is that psychology? Right. Like there are a lot of ways. Um, uh, there are a lot of ways in, in doing my like uh, Google, you know, reviews and commentary research for this. Um, one thing I, I came across was an article on Vulture that was like, uh, uh, Britney runs a marathon. It had some sort of uh, terrible, woke, clickbaity title, but actually was what the article like a lot of things like this, the article is a lot better than the headline. The headline was Britney runs a marathon erases fat marathoners, which is just like, Oh God, give me a break. But, yeah. uh, 
the was a personal essay by a woman who was uh, who said like when the doctor rattled off her height and weight uh, at the beginning, that's my height and weight. Also, I ran the New York City Marathon last year, and in my training, I didn't lose a pound. You know, and it's like so. You know, a that's possible, right? Like if you start running, your body's not necessarily going to change shape. B people get into different body shapes for a lot of reasons, like people's health, nutrition, shape, you know, lifestyle factors, sleep, you know, like all kinds of things change their bodies for all kinds of reasons. And and there's every single one is is specific, you know. I. I, I guess in in that every story is an experience, and every experience is subject to interpretation. I suppose they probably fall into a dozen broad categories with with outliers. But like you gotta you gotta sort of deal if you're doing a work of of psychologically realistic drama, you know, um, you have to you have to do something uh you have to do something where where you interrogate that like what led her to this it you know it was like she was you know uh above her homeostatic weight because of a lot of unhealthy lifestyle factors like not enough sleep like bad nutrition like way too much alcohol you know like uh and but then also because of like this this uh, uh coruscating and vitriolic self-hatred um mm-hmm. that was not fully wasn't really cashed out right and like you know i mean i i i guess it's like the movie is a little bit about what's what britney is eating but i a little less about what's eating her and i guess i would have liked to to uh i would have liked a a a little a little more of that you know and for that to be for it to have a a theory of psychological health that ran in parallel to its theory of of physical health Right. And and I will stop and say that comparing this movie, even unfavorably against to do the right thing is a tremendous compliment to this movie. <laughs> right. Like this is. Yeah, it's not. I was, I was trying to think of a movie of ideas where I felt like it works as a drama and also works as a, a movie of ideas. And that's it, this is not one I would. I guess yeah. there are like a lot of primary colors in the, in the color palette, though. They tend towards the they tend towards the. um uh, not the primary color palette of do the right thing, a little more kind of pastels and pinks and purples kind of, uh, yeah. kind of stuff. But, uh, other than that, yeah, not, not, not really sim universe. Yeah. I mean, I would just say that like writing something like that is so tough and, and, uh, it definitely a challenge. I hope yeah, people but, aspire but, to but a movie costs yeah. like 20 bucks. Like it should be hard. <laughs> like if you want to occupy two hours of the public time, like it, it, it ought to be hard. Like there, there ought to be an excellence. Uh, there ought to be an excellence. And I, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm pooping on it too much. Like, are the, you, are you, are you erasing Matt movies that don't have an excellence by people who've won Oscars for lifetime achievement? <laughs> yeah. Non-excellent you, movies also run two hours. Um, Yeah, uh, which actually isn't even that much of a feat because, uh, you know, it took Brittany, uh, what, four or five hours to run the New York City Marathon. If not, uh, you know, if not that, I don't know, Pete, you and I once toyed with the idea of doing a, uh, of doing a like health and fitness podcast in the overthinking it, in the overthinking it style. Uh, how do you feel about like large scale projects of self-improvement generally? (laughs) I feel like like, does your life have a purpose? (laughs) <laughs> well, I think it's a good question. And I because I identify with this movie a lot because I I do think that and, and the movie, you know, the movie busts out the lampshade a couple times on this. The one of the big ones is Brittany makes the argument to her doctor that a lot of people who are her weight are perfectly healthy, which is true. And the doctor comes back and says, yeah, but like you don't have any of that in your chart. Right. <laughs> like there's no there's no reason to believe you're one of those people and you shouldn't just assume that you're somebody other than who you are are yeah uh because it would be convenient to protect you from the ways in which you're killing yourself 
Um, I am. Does, a big there's fan. there's a yeah. pretty good there's a pretty good burn in that in that sequence where she's like, God, you really missed the point of that whole series of Dove ads, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she tells the doctor, which is funny because then the movie comes around and has a scene later where she's in like a locker room, right, looking at other women who have a variety of body shapes and are happy and having a good time. And by reflection, you know, regardless of her body shape, which changes drastically over the course of the movie, to a degree, she's always dealing with self hatred. Um, which I identify with, right? Because I mean, I, in my, because here's the, and I think this was the motivating factor behind our idea and maybe not quite breaking through on some of the thinking around it as part of why it, it never really came to fruition. But it's this notion that like you're, it's about the conflict between the, uh, the conscious self and the subconscious self, like a very basic way, right. In terms of your, I mean, it's thinking fast and slow, as we've talked about too recently, yeah. the, the different modes of like, it's very, it's very common these days to read an article where somebody will refer to, uh, research, cognitive research that shows that decision-making isn't something that happens in like a, in an instant, right? Mm. Uh, there's an idea that there's a, there's an aspect of decision-making that happens before a, a person or a monkey or whatever is aware that the decision is being made and then points to it and says, this is proof that there's no such thing as like a decision, right? That because we've been able to break this thing up into pieces and we can identify and interrogate the individual pieces, what they'll usually say is there's no such thing as free will, right? Mm. And it's like, well, I don't think you're really taking from this experiment the finding that's most important, which is that, you know, your decision making is exists on several different continua that are operating at the same time. Yeah. And your idea that you possess, that you have all of them in your possession is, is incorrect based on uh, observation. Right. And, and that you don't have, and, and so the, the most pertinent way, I'm not saying that that whole thing isn't like a fun conversation to have, but more importantly, and I'd say importantly, cause it has real consequences in people's lives. People don't appreciate how little active control actually does the job for really critically important things. And uh, like, when I say active control, I mean that I see a decision, I make a decision, the thing that I will to happen happens. Mm. Uh, that's not how it works. And the biggest way and, – and then the, the way that which this intersects with culture is that a lot of the culture doesn't speak to the part of you that's making the conscious decision. It speaks to the part of you that's kind of making the subconscious decision or it speaks to the part of you making the conscious decision but lies. Right? Because it doesn't want you to be – you know, because not it doesn't want you. It's not like a monster. Right? Um, but – it's just sort of the aggregate. I mean, sometimes it's monstrous behavior by people, but it's the aggregate of a lot of incentives. And it's this and the, the baseline problem, right, is that people, human beings are animals and animals in order to survive are not granted by evolution and providence. Right. Uh, the the ultimate decision over whether and what they eat. Mm. <laughs> right. Like that is the problem. The problem is that. Uh, and that's both the solution and a problem. But it's a solution to a different problem than people are facing, which is that animals uh, then they encounter food. They have ways in which they eat it. <laughs> and and human beings, in seeing ourselves as above animals, right, we often see ourselves as above this kind of decision. Um, but we're not. <laughs> and we don't necessarily have, you know, in our in our conscious and in and immediate control uh, um, uh, impulse control. Right. Impulse control is something that needs to be cultivated and taught and practiced. Right. Uh, it's not something that is automatic. It's not something that's essential to human beings. And and this issue just spins out in massive fractal ways in the whole sort of health and fitness industry. Yeah. And, and and I think that was what we kind of wanted to talk about, which was about the culture interacting with that kind of essential problem and all of the different ways that it intersect with that essential problem. And this is a movie that shows you that essential problem, but it doesn't explain to you the science of it. It doesn't interrogate <laughs> why it happens, right? It just sort of sentimentally reflects to you, this is a person who's struggling with it the way that you struggled with it, potentially. And if you haven't struggled with it, you probably wouldn't like this movie, but that's okay because the algorithm at Amazon that told them to distribute it knows that there's enough people who are out there buying the the, the shorts off of Amazon to go running for the first time. And they're going to like the movie, and it's going to make money, right? Like, that's the kind of... I think, isn't it made by something like Merchandise Productions or something? Material Productions? There's like a name of one of the production companies on this movie that strongly implies that it's related to shopping to shopping uh, oh, that's interesting yeah, I can yeah. but anyway sort of but look that up on imtb but the the i mean it it is uh, it was released by amazon 
Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess that's another thing, right? But it's like it's the old it's the old House of Cards argument where Netflix is like, well, we know people like Kevin Spacey from data, and we know that more people than should like this old British show called House of Cards, uh, based on the data, not based on our intuition that this is a good story to tell. Let's remake this random old British show with Kevin Spacey in it. Yeah. And that was that's the decision making, right? It's data driven decision making, um, and I think that. To an extent, this movie is a product of data-driven decision-making, which is part of why the argument of it isn't logically coherent and doesn't make sense, because it's sort of chosen topics to discuss and portray, and it portrays those topics in a sympathetic way. But it, it does it's not like somebody – I mean, it's also based on a book, right, which is another thing we've talked about recently, how some – that the most problematic movies are the ones based on real life, because real life doesn't do us the courtesy of smoothing all its edges, Right. Um, that, that it turns out that people's prejudices exist in their actual lives. Uh, and so if you were to make a story about somebody's actual life, it's going to include some degree of prejudice. Um, and and as this movie does. So anyway, I mean, I could keep talking and talking about this. But in terms of like big self-improvement projects, I kind of think that everybody has to do them at some point or or this stuff is going to kill you. Uh, I mean, maybe you're lucky and it doesn't. But the idea that you could just sort of will yourself to resist all of the different sorts of systems that are, you know, would, would really, really, you know, run you downhill in the sort of uh, thermodynamic theory of self-destruction, right? Sure. There is a whole other factor of this. I mean, people, you know, the, the, a lot of the talk about this gets, gets sort of, th- things get thrown around as though there's no, um, as though there's no environment, right? As though it's just an individual, as though it's just an agent kind of making rational decisions one way or another about the, um, the you know, about activities, right? And, and about yeah. sort of rewards and payoffs as though like homo economicus is like, is standing in line at sweet cream, <laughs> but the, <laughs> it doesn't really work that way. There, there is an environment. And like one of the factors of this in, environment, like, is that, you know, it, in, the United States of America, anyway, the the um, uh, the food system produces like thirty six hundred calories per person per day, uh, and that's that's got to be sold, right? Like it's produced, so it's got to be sold. Uh, otherwise, it's waste, and that's economically inefficient. And and like you know, carried out to carried out to its conclusion without anyone even trying that hard, just the sort of logic of that system is is gonna end up with a, a whole bunch of obese people, a whole bunch of people suffering from you know the disease of affluence, the, the heart disease, etc. That that um, you know are are. Uh, Oh, that uh, first world countries over index on that developed countries, I should say, over over index on, um, and that that is that is interesting. And so, like to to a certain extent, any program of self improvement is in active rebellion against the environment, you know, right? Against yep. the world that you find yourself in, which is a really poopy way of uh, of having to live your life. I, I sometimes I sometimes wonder if those people exist who you know had like you know tranquil and and supportive family situations very early and who get, uh, you know, um, who like just in the, in the heat of every day have the cool headedness to say, no, in fact, I don't want to make that choice. I I do make that choice. Like I, I view any sort of, not even a grand project of self-improvement. I, I, uh, like, you know, I, I um, d- d- view the the just the daily struggle of not slipping down the the Crisco greased slip and slide. Of, uh, not even that of the I, I should say the like uh, genetically modified corn syrup greased <laughs> slip and slide of you know uh, poor decision poor decisions as regards wellness all sorts like as a as a constant struggle that I have to uh, engage in and that really requires me during the like the smart and more peaceful um, times to uh, to uh, you know put <laughs> to put in place systems so that during the other ninety nine percent of my life I won't just completely f everything up uh, because like it's been a long day and I had a fight with someone and like there's a challenging uh, problem at work and the traffic was bad and I missed my this or that appointment and I'm you know uh, and like the 
the answer to all of these is a, a double double, a vanilla shake, and uh, an order of of um, animal fries. God, it sounds really good. <laughs> I might might go out so, for that after after this, right? And and that I think there is like a good thought technology in there um, that I I picked up from sort of thinking about productivity and stuff like that that I did early, you know, earlier on back back before you know um, back in the early days of of my engagement with these ideas that like a lot of this stuff, a lot of health, a lot of like good outcomes in your life can be tied to using the smart parts of your life, using the type the times when you're capable of system two thinking, um, in order to kind of set guardrails for you during your, your, uh, system one times to make the right thing, the, the easy thing, the, like the, or example of this is like, well, you know what, set your, set your gym clothes out next to your bed. Right, like make it reduce the friction of the process between your ass in bed and your ass on the stairmaster. You know, like reduce the friction of that process. Like puddle, take the shorts and like puddle them on the floor so that all you have to do is step in and pull up. You know, like to that level, to that level of granularity. Times when I've been been successful is that, and it's just that 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 constant constant struggle of uh, that constant war of all against all uh, in terms of impulses in my brain. And it's hard to uh, it's hard to live like that, Pete. It's hard to live like that. Yeah. I th- now, here's where I think you asked me about the woman on the train. This is, I think, what the movie. This is a big part of what the movie is about, and what that woman on the train is about. And I agree with you that, as, especially in terms of the core plot of the movie, Brittany runs a marathon. The idea of what that means isn't adequately interrogated to make the movie to make the movie an elegant combination of feelings and ideas. It leans much more heavily on feelings than ideas. And in that sense, it doesn't uh, aspire to the kind of ambition of those movies that really do elegantly combine uh, feelings and ideas and and, and com- comprise a sort of way of looking at a, a problem or situation that's both you know compelling and and helpful. Uh, uh, I would say that's that sort of uh, that that gives you something to really to that gives provides like it's it seems like it's given an adequate interrogation of itself as well as the the things in play. However, however, the movie is also about uh, the problem of other minds, especially the huh. problem of other minds as regards to the kinds of issues that you're talking about, the homo economicus problems, and also these these ideas of. The guardrails that you have to set for yourself. I, I think you said you said it great. You was like the, using the parts of yourself that that you can, the parts of yourself that you can control, the parts of yourself that are manageable to manage the parts of yourself that are not manageable. Yeah. And and, um, and what this movie puts out there is that if you have this sort of thing happening to you, you know, you think you're the only person dealing with it. Um, and the movie even has a whole subplot about Instagram, which is not the best part of the movie, but I think is a big part of the movie's sort of thesis. If the movie does have a thesis, which is not, by the way, that you should run a marathon, uh, um, like, surprisingly enough, um, there's this whole subplot where Brittany has a roommate who is a minor Instagram celebrity or influ- I would say a minor Instagram influencer who is seeking to kind of raise her stakes uh, and who also is played with a kind of self-loathing that's very similar to the self-loathing that Brittany has. And in the way that you've described, Matt, the movie doesn't really at any point have them interrogate them- themselves and recognize that the reason that they're friends is that they're the same. Right. The, the movie instead has Brittany sort of self-improve and become nicer uh, and kind of recognize what's going on and have the friend not recognize it. And then have Brittany kind of tell off the friend for being a bad friend. But there's not really a place where they're like, oh, you know, I mean, maybe a little bit, but not really, where it's like my self-loathing about my bad behavior is just the same as your self-loathing about your uh, you're trying to be popular because all, we're both assuming that other people don't have our problems. That we're assuming that the people that we compete with are, are not dealing with the kind of stuff that we're dealing with. This is the issue of uh, what you call her, Martha. What is her name? Money Bunny Bags Martha. Yes, and the the, uh, the gentrifier right, exactly. of the neighborhood. By the way, that talk about the let's talk about the pot calling the kettle, right? Like Brittany coming in here, going out every night, getting high and. And living the club life with no kids living in this like rough neighborhood in New York City or formerly rough neighborhood in New York City, pointing to the middle aged woman and saying, you're gentrifying it. Right. Like you're bad. Uh, I'm not, you know, not not seeing that, you know, she's white and in Brooklyn Um, and not, you know, and not like, you know, 
descendants of immigrants who moved there a long time ago. But anyway, um, the the whole plot with Brittany and Moneybags Martha and her her sister and her sister's husband, uh, it, it, all of this loops around this idea that all of them have their own personal private dramas. It's it's that wonderful saying that you know, you're the only one, you're the only person who has the backstage pass to your life. Sure. Everybody else only shows you the highlight reel. And Brittany doesn't rec- Brittany hates herself partially because she doesn't realize that the other people around her have problems just like she does. And I, I would also even suggest that I don't think Brittany even really learns this so much. Maybe she does. Maybe she doesn't by the end of the movie. Or or maybe what happens, rather, is um, – rather, yeah. I say that with yeah. a capital W as well as a capital R or lowercase r – is that um, she does begin to participate in a form of empathy where she recognizes that the other people in her life that she encounters also have problems. But she doesn't, like, change the culture of that sort of – interreaction she 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 it's sort of a coming of age where she recognizes that a everybody has their own problems and b people don't go around talking about their problems with strangers everybody pretends like everything's okay and when britney is letting on the black woman with the pink hair at the train at the end it's like she's participating in that she's recognizing that that woman has her own problems and she's not making a big deal of it because she's learned to be like Mar- like well, Martha's not her name. Catherine, right, is the yeah. character's name. She's learned to be more like Catherine in the sense that she's learned to put on a brave face and act like things don't bother her, but while also recognizing that the other people around her might have problems that are going on. So it's so it's not really like a like didactic about how you should really live your life, right? It's it's like she goes through a transformation and she reaches this new point where she's doing what everybody else around her was doing. But part of why she had the problem in the first place was the way that everybody was acting. Uh, and and so it's like it's all around this kind of complex of problems that exist in the way that people relate to each other, which is further reinforced by this notion that like, OK, so you see a movie that shows a whole lot of people and explains how everything works. How do you make that real in your own life where you have this problem of other minds where you don't necessarily get to communicate with other people all that effectively? Um, so so that that's where I, I don't think it necessarily succeeds in kind of pushing this movie to that next level. But I think that that's where the heart of that moment is also. It, if the moment is kind of a symbol that has several different sorts of angles, one is the angle you talked about for real. That's like the big one, which is like now Brittany has developed enough personal resources that she can be Sandra Bullock in the blind side. Mm. Right. And she can like help the people who are less fortunate. Um, and she's going to do so without talking to them. And they're also not going to have speaking parts in the movie. Um, although, you know, this is a movie which centers are also around a mixed race relationship. And and there's a lot of, you know, there is a lot of speaking parts for people of color in the movie and whatnot. But that's they're not. It's it's Britney's story. Um, and then they're letting the black woman on the train is this this aspect of kind of moral tokenism. Right. That's like you know problematic of course but 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 in that other dimension it does relate to this idea of like we all live in a city where in order to coexist with each other we have boundaries about who we tell about what's wrong um and part of having yourself together is being able to function as if everything is okay by setting these guardrails for yourself and that is good Um, Uh, you know that that is like that actually is like it would be bad advice to like walk around in a state of maximum vulnerability in New York City. You should not do that. If Are you sure? Because I because I've seen a lot of movies where people do that and they they're totally happy, right? Totally, like, yeah, it's a very it's a very constrained set. You still, are you saying that Are you saying that Nick and Nora should switch to a finite playlist? <laughs> <laughs> this is actually, I mean, this is something that, speaking of playlists, this is something that Ryan and I talked about a little bit on the TFT podcast, right? Like that, that area, that, that anarchy doesn't scale, you know, that, uh, punk really was enabled by a big, a big, like, management and organizational, uh, machine that, like, circumscribed the area of punkness. And so, sort of zones of punkness, right? Like, yeah. and it's true that zones of vulnerability need to be kind of defended and the, the boundary between the zone of punkness and the the zone of the square community needs to be policed and like for you know the 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 boundary of your sort of zone of vulnerability versus your zone of uh you know zone of um you know subway face reserve is uh uh needs to be needs to be policed as well but like it is i mean it it is an interesting thing because there is it's you call it the problem of of other minds i i would say that it's related to what i uh said earlier about the environment right like both in the physical Mm -hmm. environment 
environment and in the kind of the, the psychosocial environment, right? The, the sort of one, one person isn't enough and that like, um, it's just that like, uh, it's, it's not just that like, well, no, she needs to, as an agent, she needs to make better choices as regards like health and fitness, uh, no, a diet and fitness, diet and exercise. No, it's like, there's a whole environment around that. And, the, and a lot of these things, there's like an etiology to a lot of these things. Like they got the way they are for a certain reason. And you can't just like flip the switch one morning without like dealing with the whole history of how we got here. Um, Similarly, with the similarly with the the uh, the kind of the psychosocial aspect, right? Like you can't you can't like deal you can't uh, just change your life without dealing with your toxic best friend or the kind of toxic aspects of your relationship with your best friend. You can't you know with the, without some sort of moment of recognition, without like uh, changing your friend group a, a mm. little bit. Like um, you know, she she sort of actually finds a better friend group, a, a more support. Uh, zone of people where she can kind of where she can be a little more vulnerable and be a little more supportive. Now she's a poopy uh, uh, participant in that because she doesn't uh, put in any energy into that system until the until the end and sort of sees it through this like very you know self centered kind of self pitying light. Um, and I uh, I'm just uh, I can't. Um, you know, and that like uh, she can't, you know, she can't do a lot of uh, she can't do a lot of stuff by herself. And I'm, I'm like struck by how much how much this has to do with the fact that you have to you have to tell a story in a movie that has like a hero. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. To, have a, to tell a story that that has a protagonist, but that like I don't know, like strikes me that if if you're if you're if you are striking out on a journey of self improvement, like get a better group of friends is probably not a bad step zero to to that whatever it is because like you know if you look around where you are you know the the structures around you where you are uh uh, lifestyle social etc um all support where you are and there's a kind of homeostasis to that like that if you if you disrupt it the system will try to bring you back into equilibrium with with the system and so like one way to do it without like making new year's resolutions or or things like this is to you know go back to the kind of the old saw of like you are the average of the five people you hang out with the most and and be a little bit more like uh okay what do i you know what do i want that to be and attack it from that level rather than you know rather than necessarily thinking that like you can kind of muscle your muscle your way through in the kind of the hero's journey thing it's like well Brittany learns to accept help i would say that the kind of the slightly more enlightened way the slightly more um you know day-to-day practical way of of doing that is that you have to sort of you have to participate in a community somehow that Mm -hmm. is that is you know reinforcing the things you want your life to be because it's it's really in the exchange of energy you know it's in the exchange of of um talking and listening and feeling and hearing and doing and like all of these things doing for each other having done for you it's and it's not just like oh i have to accept everybody's help and now i'm okay it's like yes a that's a good that's a good first step and b like then i gotta help also like i gotta yeah. i gotta pull a little bit in this uh you know this this great big collective action problem we got life i don't know pete there was there was a lot in there but maybe you can extract something valuable yeah from it. well i would say that that last part is totally pertinent and i would say that that the the marathon right uh, what is the marathon in this movie uh, right the real, the real marathon was within you all along <laughs> no oh, it's yeah. the opposite oh, sorry, of that sorry. got it got it <laughs> it's, the opposite marathon. Of that. It's, it's what sartre said marathon is other people yes <laughs> the idea is that what the reason that the city throws a big marathon is to have a celebration of the fact that there are communities of people either large like large communities but also small communities and kind of complexes of small communities that are supportive of each other in this way that's necessary in order for you to do things in your life that aren't easy right and that and then even more than that that there are participate participate participant driven or guess what participatory communities of people where you put in effort and everybody else also puts in effort and 
that's maybe part of why marathons make such good symbols as kind of civic celebrations for cities, because everybody who is in the marathon is doing their part. And yeah. even the people who go to watch the marathon, right, are not just watching a celebration of things that sort of, you know, glory that's been won in the past, right? They're watching people who are actively participating in their life with their, in their communities. Uh, now, granted, it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a it's a it's a participation that but you know not necessarily it butters no parsnips right it's like it's not uh it's it's a lot yeah, of effort I, I, I don't know like i i i like i i think it does butter some parsnips right or it it uh sure it, it might i don't know it's i mean the 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 parsnips within need to be buttered as well <laughs> you know what i mean that's um i was when the last time the la marathon was was run i happened that day to be watching some kids uh a four and a six-year-old and i they they lived um as a favor for a friend and they lived uh, near the route of the la marathon and so i got, I got to take them up to like watch the like last uh, runners along the last two miles of the la marathon and we did and it was so exciting and like people were out lining the sides of the road partying and like cheering at this huge roar when a runner would go by cheering them on and i tried like in in an age appropriate way in a way that you know they could understand and get into like explain what this was and why these people were astonishing like why these people were were amazing and like to that like i i just i don't know i felt so good about the the marathon at the end like and apparently they shot it at the actual new york city marathon apparently when she was acting and like struggling real runners tried to like help her on the which you know they probably like oh damn it i lost 30 seconds on my time because yeah. I, tried to, I tried to like help this actress but um you know uh it just it it the it felt so good and i felt so good about uh, you know the the aspects of society where like a bunch of people come and try to do something amazing together and try to support each other and try to kind of celebrate you know something that is that we can all agree is is admirable about people and it made me think like you know there should be more things like that more regularly more a part of all of our lives and like more different kinds of people should be able to participate in them and more more things other than like athletic competition should be honored in that in that particular way and it felt it felt good also a little weird for the the uh the movie to go into a kind of scott pilgrim versus the world video game aesthetic right at that moment though that had not been part of the language <laughs> <laughs> the visual language of the film up to there but like it's like the you know it's the you saw like her being shot through the eyes of the app that's tracking runners on the on the marathon and so this like some of some like computer graphics came came into the thing but like i don't know if i walked away from with this with with one lesson it's um you know it's the marathons are awesome you know and i've <laughs> I've, 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 I've never i've never thought I would attempt one. I'm I'm built to be a sprinter, Pete. I'm not a I'm not a an endurance athlete. I'm I will do a 5K, but I, I and enjoy that. But I um I don't think I could do a marathon. But then I thought like, well, if Brittany can do it, maybe I can do it as well. <laughs> oh, I love it. I, I'm 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 uh, I'm built for endurance, but I'm built to move something else, not my own body, is what I've discovered. <laughs> that I should be just lifting and putting down a bale of hay over and over again, and that would be my. I guess that's what I do when when I'm when I'm being athletic, I suppose. But but I mean, just to just to ring the changes one last time, right? We've sort of presented three theories of Britney runs a marathon. The first theory is that it is a sentimental movie about self improvement, about kind of facing. Uh, the kind of challenges associated with, you know, fitness and self-loathing and sort of, you know, are you are you good to yourself and do you need to, to kind of change your ways, right? And so, so I want to I ring these, these in terms of how they're represented in her relationship with Jern, right? The, uh, the co-dog sitter that she becomes romantically entangled with through this movie, right? So, like, in, in theory one of Britney Runs a Marathon, which is the self-improvement theory, um, that that this is a, like, okay, I want to have a relationship. I've never really had a relationship. This guy has also never really had a relationship, a real relationship. They both have kind of sexual dalliances of various sorts, but nothing that's really been adult and mature and has kind of happened in the sort of way in which people should really build things that last, in scare quotes. Uh, and so that's a sort of movie where these two people bumble towards that kind of resolution. Uh, and it's come, it's played for comic effect. Everything with Jern is kind of a very writ small, made for comic effect version of the other stakes of the other subplots, right? So like. 
that's some, that's like the reading. Brittany runs a marathon reading A. Uh, Brittany runs a marathon reading B is that this is a movie about people dealing with an environment uh, and and kind of not recognizing that the other people that they're around are also dealing with their environment and also and sort of having a uh, a kind of both a, both the issue of a problem of other minds and an issue in terms of like decision making and self-control. But that as it relates to like uh, the ways in which they're kind of told to live versus the ways that they want to live and, and reaching. And so the if the achievement in kind of reading A is that Brittany runs the marathon, the achievement in reading B is that Brittany recognizes that everybody is running their own marathon. And in that sense, the relationship with Jern is about two people who are from very different worlds and have very different problems and very different feelings and who recognize that in order for them to be together, they have to open up some sort of avenue of mutual empathy and mutual communication to reach like that, that kind of relationship with each other. The reason they're incapable of being together is because they can't cross that gap between the way that they each interact with their environments in like a different way. Right. Um, and then reading C of Brittany runs a marathon is the, the Brittany is that the marathon is other people, right? Which is what you said, which is so great, right? Which is that, um, that, that Brittany runs a marathon. If it has a call to action, it's a call to action to participate in communities of people where people, pull their weight and i'll say it even though it's problematic right where where uh, where you don't just coast uh and and then make and then sort of exploit other people for your social validation the people in your circle are also contributing and you're helping each other and even whether it's symbolic or whether it's kind of uh material right or whether it's you know uh it's a ritual or whatever um you go britney goes from relationships in which she gets nothing done for her by her friends to relationships in which like all of the friends and which in which she also does nothing right her friends no don't do nothing for her she does barely nothing for herself or anyone else a little bit for her friends but not really they exploit her a little bit but not really then it goes to a point where she has new friendships where everybody in the friendship is adding something and working and that that is what helps her to do the transformation and the empathy and in that relationship with Jern, that's the whole scene to comic effect where like Brittany is trying so hard to get Jern to make like any small move to cross that boundary, right? Like the whole thing of like, oh, we got to get onto the blanket and oh, I'm going to smell your hair and oh, I'm going to like, like drink this giant glass of wine. And it's just like, just, just, just put in any small amount of work, right? In order to make this into a relationship, I am just, somebody has to do something. We can't just sit here. If we just sit here, we won't have a relationship. All right. And, and I, and it's a call to action for anybody who's in a relationship relationship where all you do is both sit there and uh and that can be a tough situation i mean in a micro sense if you've ever been in a relationship where the two of you get injured at the same time or get sick at the same time right it's like kind of tough sometimes because it's like a lot of time relationships are based on doing things for each other or taking care of each other and if you can't take care of the other person like what do you do right how do you relate um but but that the the relationship with Jern is also about this idea and him being in the audience of the marathon, right, is really important and a big triumphant moment for all that, that like somebody has to do something if anything's going to happen. Um, and that that is true for individuals. That is true for couples. That is true for small friend groups, medium friend groups, large cities or for Amazon itself. Uh, although I guess for Amazon, they might uh, prefer if uh, if if uh, the number of people, uh, every robot in Amazon is important. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, all right, this has been the Overthinking Podcast. Thanks for listening, and Pete, thanks for podcasting with me. Thanks for thanks for being my running buddy on this uh, particular yeah. on this particular marathon. Uh, we're going to be back with more Overthinking It podcast next week. Look, I don't like to call our shot, Pete. But I got a, uh, I got this invitation here. Yeah, not, not actually an invitation. It's the reverse of invitation. We have house guests coming next week. Mm. Do you know who they are? Uh, I'm not sure. But as a garrulous chauffeur who prefers republicanism as an ideology, I'm sure I won't like the answer. <laughs> the king and queen are coming to Downton Abbey. The king and queen are coming to Downton. Next uh, next week. So uh, get after it, overthinkers. Let's, <laughs> let's, it's gonna, oh, let's have it open to $150 million. <laughs> all, all over. Strap on your spats and hit the pavement and do your part for king and country. <laughs> Very excited to have that next week. Till then, you can find all these episodes on Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, it probably doesn't deserve it.
spoiler alert, uh, Brittany does die. Brittany does die after informing Athens of the victory at the Battle of Marathon. Uh, it's quite a, a stay after the credits.